right, so Carl, we're here. Kung Fu Yoga, <laughs> Middle East edition, right? We did a yes. we did a Canada thing, but now, you know, everything that's been going on in um, you know Israel Palestine, the war in Gaza, um, all the violence in uh, Al Aqsa Mosque, um, and it just uh, occurred to me that people will want to know what China is doing, and India has managed to. Uh, be a pretty big disgrace as well <laughs> which i'll get i'll get into but um so carl i guess the first question is like you know the i guess china approaches this as uh you know with the same kind of non-interference policy that they always approach things with is that approximately right like how's china look at israel palestine today Oh, I can't hear you. Weirdly. Today, yes, I was uh, well, I was on mute. But okay. traditionally, that's actually not the case because uh, under Mao, China was actually the the largest supporter of Palestinian resistance in the 1960s and 70s. Um, I mean, that's acknowledged by the PLO. Uh, in fact, uh, Yasser Arafat has traveled to China 14 times between. Oh. Uh, 1964 and uh, 2000, and wow. uh, they have gone on record. Uh, I, I I got a, a thing open here. Uh, so Yasser Arafat was once quoted as describing the People's Republic of China as the biggest influence in supporting our revolution and strengthening its perseverance. His organization Fatah was is on record of having said. The Chinese people's support for revolutionary cause of Palestine is an important pillar of the Palestine Revolution, and uh, and the P Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine, which is uh, more radical uh, uh, of the you know more radical than the mainstream P PLO, the PFLP leader George ha Habash, Habash actually. Yeah. Yeah, he actually declared in 1970, our best friend is China. China wants Israel erased from the map because as long as Israel exists, there will remain an aggressive imperialist outpost on Arab soil. So this is like back in, you know, back in the days, back in the, when, when Mao was alive, because, you know, Mao was a big believer in uh, exporting revolution worldwide. And it saw like the, the Palestinian uh, resistance as uh, an important cause in the Arab world. So that changed uh, in 1990. So when I was when I was growing, still growing up in China in 1980s, you know, China was still firmly uh, on the side of the Palestine. You know, I remember on te watching television, you know, we watched Yasser Arafat making his appearance on CCTV all the time. Wow. And uh, yeah, China actually didn't establish diplomatic relation with Israel until 1992. Um, so like before, so in the 1980s, if you're an Israeli citizen, the only way you can visit China is if you, you have a dual citizenship of another country. You, you use the other country's passport. That's the only way for an Israeli citizen to visit China. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the PLO, they maintain an office in Beijing. And China has always expressed its support for Palestinian statehood. Um, and 
what changed was uh, in 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 1990. So after 1989, uh, uh, after the Tiananmen Square protests, China was isolated diplomatically uh, because there was Western sanctions. And as a result, China launched uh, a diplomatic offensive worldwide. So that's the, the time when China started recognizing a whole bunch of reactionary regimes like Israel, Saudi Arabia, right. <laughs> South Korea, back then still under the former former military dictator. Uh, you know, so so all these unsavory regimes that that, that China finally and, and also Indonesia under Suharto. <laughs> that was also in the 1990s. Uh, so so just Israel, that, I just wanted to because the 1992 point is interesting because that's also the year of norm that india normalized relations with uh with israel so historically israel under nehru i mean india under nehru and and for quite some time afterwards resisted uh normalization and always took that line of you know from the non-aligned movement um they agreed to keep israel out of the non-aligned movement they were trying to come to the bendong conference and uh nehru you know, all agreed with with blocking it, and uh, everybody goes back in India or up until the 1992 to Gandhi, because Gandhi has this famous quote, famous in India, where he said, "Palestine belongs to the Arabs as England belongs to the English and France to the French." He said that in 1939. Uh, so yeah, it's very interesting that normalization with Israel happened in 1992 with China and with India. I would like to put a caveat to that, though, is because um, so in 1990, China and Israel exchanged some sort of uh, unofficial uh, diplomatic office in each other's uh, capital. Then, but China waited until 1992 to formalize, uh, normalize the tie because 1992 was the start of the Oslo peace process. Yeah, Yeah, that's why everybody actually. Yeah, so that that's actually play an important role uh, because then uh, you know the, the, at the time I I still remember in 1992 there was in 1993 at the time of the Oslo Peace Accord there was a lot of uh, optimism you know mm-hmm. like worldwide that they, they thought this is this is it this is you know when uh, Yasser Arafat and uh, what what's his name uh, Rabin uh, got. Uh, uh, was it Rabin on the Israeli side? He was assassinated, but, right? Afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they that 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 they both got the Nobel Peace Prize for Oslo uh, Peace Accord. So I think there was a lot of yeah, uh, Rabin was of, prime minister. Yeah, that was a lot of a uh, lot of optimism back then, and and they think that's that's also when um, that's also around the time when South Africa ended, uh, you know, apartheid, right? But, so, I guess Oslo was '93, but it must have been in the air that this was happening, and yeah, they started. Yeah. The process started yeah. before that. So Oslo, uh, 1993, is when they finally nailed the agreement, announced it to the world. Oslo yeah. one is signed in '93. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, well, yeah, like China or India, like back then, you can't you can't oppose something if the Palestinian leadership is signing you can't be more pro-palestine than the palestinians right so yeah they were in that position okay so go on sorry i just jumped in yeah um i actually you know for for people who want to know a little more about this they can actually just google 
you know, I literally just Google Mao China support Palestine and you yeah. will find an article uh, from 2019 Harez, uh, Israeli newspaper, talking about um, how weapons and ideology reveal how China arm and train the Palestinians. So, so Mao's China will, will directly support uh, supplying weapons to PLL. And in, in 1980s, when uh, Israel raided a, a, a PLO command post in southern Lebanon, they, they actually found documents uh, in Chinese, like the Chinese weapon training menus on how to like make uh, mines and 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 uh, and different weapons. Every like people, I'll, I'll provide the link and people can look it up. So so in 1960 and 70s, China actually supplied a large quantity of arms to various Palestinian guerrilla groups at no no cost. So you know in a way, China was doing more to support PL. Uh, to Palestinian resistance at the time than even Soviet Union because uh, you know Soviet Union so Soviet were still kind of weighing their um, like kind of geopolitical cost of supporting the Palestinian resistance whereas uh, from perspective of Mao's China it was just like let, let, world revolution let's go right like you know like <laughs> <laughs> and and so yeah so that was a different time um, sure. So yeah, what's what changes? What so between Mao between seventy six and eighty nine, what did things look like for? Because um, that's so a that's crucial the, time for for the PLO, right? Because they're yeah. they're in Lebanon and there's a big war in Lebanon, uh, which starts around that time, late seventies, goes until I guess eighty two, or arguably continues part of Lebanon occupied until two thousand. So uh, what's what's China's stance on that well um you know as i mentioned in 1980 so that's actually my time in china i was born in 76 mm -hmm. so i i stayed in china until 1990 uh as i said you know on state television we see uh you know arafat all the time and they actually have um, a lot of plo uh, delegations that come to china to study uh, to visit all the old Chinese revolutionary sites and they try to study the, the, the old Chinese guerrilla tactics, try to apply that to, to the Palestinian struggle. And, and, and actually, uh, I just saw somebody digging up this old Mao quote. Uh, you know, the Mao actually told the visiting Palestinian delegates in 1966, he said, um, you know, don't spend too much time studying. You know, you guys can come here, you know, try to learn everything you want. That's great. But uh, the best school is best school for gorillas is actually the battlefield. And yeah. and he said, you, you just need to remember a couple important principles. Like when the enemy is strong, you run. When the, when you when the enemies shows weakness, you hit them, and, and that's all you need to know. And that's that's like the essence of the guerrilla warfare. And you don't need to spend months and years to study the different you know military thoughts and and military school. That's useless. You know you don't mm -hmm. you don't need a you know if you have an air force or a navy. Yes, you need specialized knowledge. But for guerrilla warfare, you the best way is by doing it. Uh, that that's that's Mao's advice. Uh, but in nineteen 80s, uh, there's still no uh, official diplomatic ties between China and Israel. But at the time, uh, you know, China, China 
in the 1980s, China was already in the kind of anti-Soviet camp, right? In the in the Western Western camp, uh, you know, especially after the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in 1979. So both China and Israel were supplying weapons to you know the Afghan mujahideens. Yeah, Israel Israel was supplying the weapons that capture from PLO. So actually, Chinese made weapons, <laughs> mostly Chinese made weapons, to uh to the Afghan mujahideens. And and but uh, then there's some secret contact. But mostly, uh, you know, for for from Chinese perspective, they're interested in getting um Western military technology, right? And and in 1980s there was still some somewhat of a cooperation between United States and China. So at that time, uh, 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 before the uh, the Douglas, uh, the U.S. were actually helped China to develop its military attack helicopter. You know, based on the Black Hawk technology back in the 80s. And but that was all cut off after 1989 Tiananmen Square protest. So then after that, China has to go kind of roundabout ways to uh, get its hands on Western technology. And that's where Israel came in, because, you know, Israel is very tightly integrated with, uh, you know, U.S. defense industry and they get all the latest gadgets. So and Israel was trying to leverage that. Um, as a way to establish relationship with, with uh, People's Republic of China, because that would be a huge diplomatic win for them. Um, and so that's what happened in 1990s. Uh, you know, in 1980s, when I was in China, China is still like all, almost all the coverage, state coverage is pro-Palestinian, right? I mean, because Israel was seen as this uh, colonial outpost of basically a U.S. imperialist interest in Middle East, which it is. Um, yeah, and 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 so so 19, 1990s is when that changed because, uh, because you know, wow. China's diplomatic isolation and also because China was trying to get its hands on uh, kind of Western technology, but by the back door of Israel. So that's what happened. When I read about India and I read this book by Kumaraswamy, uh, a guy who seems to have uh, pioneered Kung Fu yoga because he, his wife, he dedicated his book, India's Israel Policy, to his wife, Lin Chan. So, sounds like a Chinese name to me. Uh, he's, he, that was 2010, though. Who knows what now? But he's at... Is he's it at a good Jordan. book? It's not a good book. <laughs> it's not a good book. It's <laughs> super pro-Israel. Like, he basically, like thanks a whole bunch of Israeli generals and military figures and everybody. It's Columbia University Press. And he did his PhD there in the 90s and spent a lot of time there and clearly just loved it and was, you know, treated to the love treatment. But there's like no reference to he doesn't give a damn about the Palestinians at all. That's very clear. So he's just like it's India was hypocritical by for not recognizing Israel and you know they have a lot in common and anyway it's no it's it's not a i, I don't <laughs> i didn't like uh, the the book um but he um yeah so he's now at this thing called the middle east institute in delhi uh but one of the things that um he does talk about as far as the 90s goes um is 
the uh, like the Kuwait, uh, Iraq Kuwait issue. So there, that was a big setback. The Iraq War, um, the first war, the Gulf War against Saddam Hussein, when the U.S. Uh, you know attacked Iraq in 1991. Um, that was a big setback in the sense that there was a big Palestinian community in Kuwait. Um, the Palestinian Authority supported Saddam. Um, and so the Kuwait monarchy ex- expelled the Palestinians. So I, you know, I have some Palestinian friends who were expelled from Kuwait at that time. And, uh, so that was like, um, that was like, a, as far as India was concerned, it was also like a, a chance to pivot a little bit more towards Israel. Cause they were like, ah, these Palestinians, you know, they sided with, you know, Kuwait when Kuwait was invaded. Uh, I remember uh, Saddam kind of leveraged the Palestinian issue to his uh, to his cost by firing a couple missiles to toward yeah. Israel. <laughs> I remember yeah. that. Scuds, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he, well, his whole thing was like when they invaded Kuwait and the Americans were giving him all these ultimatums. Clearly, there was some kind of uh, you know the U.S. some kind of trap for Saddam, I think, but where they kind of told him it was okay and then they used that as a pretext to invade but he was he was sort of like let's let's get rid of our nuclear program and have a nuclear free middle east let's um let's all leave kuwait and israel can leave palestine so he was trying to link all the issues together yeah. and uh, obviously the us was not having any of that um so so yeah the kuwait i don't know i don't know what whether that played any role in China's diplomacy, the the Iraq war. What what was did China have a take on the Iraq war? I think uh, for the first Gulf War, China abstained in the vote. So um, at the time, you know, China is trying to remain friends with all the Gulf Arab yeah. countries. Right. And the the Kuwaiti um, uh, diplomats, actually, they, they launch a, a, a diplomatic offensive to to make sure PRC do not veto the vote. Oh, and at the yeah. time, at the time, China was hosting. I think China was uh, at the time around to host either the Asian Cup or they're uh, they're bidding for the Olympics. Uh, I forgot which one, but the the Kuwaiti. Um, uh, I think the, the the one of the Kuwaiti official was on the board of the of the of awarding the game. I forgot whether Asian Cup or the Olympics, but so so they they kind of leveraged that to. To uh to work with Beijing, so in the in the end, Beijing used uh abstention. They they, they abstained from the vote, and and so so yeah, so so because that that's like in accordance to what Beijing sees as uh, it's uh, a non-interference policy, right? So well, I yeah. remember 1999. The fir- the first letter I wrote to a Canadian newspaper was 1999 when uh, NATO was bombing Belgrade uh, in the yeah. Yugoslav, you know dismemberment of i guess yugoslavia what was left of yugoslavia at that time but um they they bombed the chinese embassy in belgrade and then this canadian columnist wrote a column about how chinese people were xenophobic and and racist because they were protesting the bombing of their embassy yeah and I, i wrote this letter where i was like so wait we bombed them and they're the ones who are xenophobic yeah yeah 
So, but yeah, yeah it's, so uh, I guess... like I and I remember I think it was McCain who got on the national television U.S. It's like, oh, China need to call off those troops. Uh, by troops, he was referring to the students protesting in front of the U.S. embassy. <laughs> it's like, uh, and then, uh, meanwhile, actual yeah. troops are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like China need to dial it down. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> you Which is what Bernie this. Sanders said about um, about calling Israel an apartheid state. Actually, he said we need to yeah. tone toned down the rhetoric he said that a couple days ago um okay so that's so we're in the 90s now we're in the 90s but so and it's also it also seems to me because between oslo and the second intifada i guess um there wasn't much to do as far as i guess there there were probably humanitarian projects but i I don't imagine China was that big of a um, donor country until very recently, right? Yeah. Like back then. Yeah. yeah. That's that's back. correct. That's correct. I mean, chi- China was uh, after after Mao era passed away. You know, Deng Xiaoping made a big point about we now stop exporting revolution. So 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 you know all that funding and in in terms of weapons, the, those are cut off. Uh, you know, then then Deng Xiaoping stop, uh, you know, militarily arming the PLO. Um, but there, there, <clears throat> there uh, you're right, like other financial assistance that didn't come until China itself become more wealthy more recently. And and Israel actually, <clears throat> they actually did something very clever. They they kind of conflated the Jewish uh, uh, Jewish diaspora with Israel in their campaign, a public relation campaign in China, because in China, the like all the, you know, all the stereotype about Jews, about how they're cunning, how they 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 control all the all the business, how, the, how like in China, those are positive stereotypes. <laughs> like, like <laughs> in China, you know, like it was seeing us, oh, the, the Jewish people, they're so smart, you know, like, like uh, uh, th- th- there was a, uh, you know, they're they're only saying, oh, you know, only you know, only the Jews are as smart as us, the Chinese. <laughs> and, and, oh uh, no. so there's, there's a lot of respect actually in China for the success of the Jewish diaspora. There are even like books in China about you know how learning the secret of how the how, how the the Jewish uh, businessman and stuff like that. So well, in India is interesting too because I noticed like if you're if you, have you have you been to India? I've never. No, I haven't. I would love no. to though. If you go to Delhi, right, like or anywhere, like any big city, there will be like places where they sell books on the street, and it'll just be like a street bookseller and like. Most of the those booksellers will have a copy of Hitler Mein Kampf, and like not like it's just for them it's just another book. Like they don't have the taboo on Hitler. They don't have the taboo on Stalin. Like the the leader of Tamil Nadu is named Stalin right now. His name is Stalin. They don't have those taboos. So yeah, I, I think I remember I remember like having a conversation with some Indian leftists like at one point. And I was telling them, yeah, you know, like the Israel-Palestine issue, you know, it's the the trouble is like, you know, you you we want to like we want to be critical of Israel, but we don't, you know, we don't want to like pander to those people who think that like it's just the Jews who control the media or whatever. Right. And then the woman I was talking to, she was like, but the Jews do control the media. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I actually remember there was an image passed around on Twitter of uh, I think it's a political poster or educational poster in India that the, the title is "The Great Dictators of the World" and it has like Stalin, Mao, and Hitler, and 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 then but and Napoleon, but but they were kind of somehow held as like positive examples, yeah, like not- like not not bad things, <laughs> like strong rulers. <laughs> Yeah, India says that all the like Indians say that all the time, like right wingers, uh, you know, we needed I mean, I guess they have it now, but like yeah. we need India needs a strong leader, a dictator, you know, too much democracy. Um, but like, are there I don't know, is there like a Middle East Institute? Are there like think tanks in China dedicated to studying the Israel-Palestine conflict? And- so, um what Israel did is actually they also invited some Chinese uh, scholars, you know, to to visit Israel, like, you know, kind of wine and dine trip and show him all the highlights. Give <laughs> and and so, yeah, so they did a great job in terms of cultivating public relations inside China because uh, they, they kind of also they tied kind of the. The, the Jewish, because like there's also a lot of sympathies for the Jewish people because of the Holocaust, you know, people, because people think of that, uh, they think about what China went through under the Japanese occupation. So it, it, Israel, uh, it's a diplomatic corps was very clever to kind of link, link the two. There's a lot of commemorations, for example, about um, the, the diaspora, the Jewish diaspora who took refuge in Shanghai during World War II because they couldn't get passport to anywhere else. But at the time, Shanghai was a was the international treaty port, so they didn't need visa to come to Shanghai. So, so like um, I think there were at some point there were uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, European Jews living in Shanghai during World War II. Like one of my um, one of my uh, hair, uh, uh, hair. Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to say hairstylist because I don't hit style my hair, but like. <laughs> oh come on, your hair looks good. My hair in LA. She, her grandmother was. She told me her grandmother stayed in Shanghai during World War II. Uh, so there was that that kind of linkage that was being constantly played up by by Israel uh, in its uh, Chinese uh, language press, and so so they get. So so they get so in that way, 1990s, I, I did notice there's a lot more kind of pro-Israel um, coverage in in the Chinese media. And also there's another side effect of uh, how China covers the world, because um, as China opened up in 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 1980s, where you after the open and reform era, um, a lot of the news that the 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 kind of the old censorship all the all the regulation on the news kind of loosened up so what happened was a lot of the chinese news media they were just copy and paste kind of the international news from like the western mainstream media so press yeah of course reuters yeah from bbc from cnn so you see uh, especially on issues like the Israel-Palestinian conflict, which is like not uh, not immediate relevant to China itself, then what you see is all that Western bias start leaking in through this kind of copy and pasting reportage in the Chinese media. So um, that's the academy. Uh, is there a, is there a big um, weapons relationship? Because when it comes to 
India, um, Israel is actually the second largest military supplier for India after Russia now. They buy unarmed aerial vehicle, I mean, unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs, drones. They get a lot of the anti-terrorism training from them, which is funny, right? Because you would think like, you would think you would want to go to a country that doesn't have terrorism and say, hey, let's do whatever you do. But they go to the country that has all kinds of terrorism. So they're clearly doing something wrong. But they ask them to train them on anti-terrorism. Yeah, so military uh, relation was actually a huge aspect of uh, China-Israel relation. In fact, it's one of the main driving uh, force uh, for 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 China-Israel diplomatic relations in the first place. Because uh, you know what what Israel held out is uh, kind of access <clears throat> to the Western technology via the back door, but then uh, one of the most important, uh, supposedly one of the most important tech transfer is, uh, you know, at the time when Israel wanted to start its own kind of uh, fighter project called LAVI, um, I think they use user F-16 technology. And then, uh, you know, because of funding, you know, and also <laughs> Israel can get all its F-16s from U.S. anyway. <laughs> so that that LAVI was kind of mothball. But, but they decided, okay, let's get further mileage out of this by uh, you know, we'll contact China and try to sell this technology to China, right? <laughs> and so China, then, then, um, then there was accusation from U.S. that the, the Chinese, um, I think the J10 program was uh, based on the the, the Israeli Lavi technology, which is in turn based on uh, the the F-16s of of U.S. So after that, the U.S. Pentagon and also U.S. Congress made a huge stink. They, they threw a hissy fit uh, uh, <laughs> at Israel. So as a result, in, uh, starting from 2001, Israel stopped all military uh, uh, export to China. So all that, all that was put a kibosh on. So, so you know, we, we talk about how, uh, like, sometimes people say how, you know, Israeli lobbies controls the U.S., you know, like, it's, it's a, kind of the tail wag the dog. But no, when, when it comes to the thing that matters, you know, <laughs> when U.S. put the foot down, Israel complies. Yeah, this is of an course. example. Of yeah. course. They can, yeah, which is like, which tells you what's, you know, who's really behind what's happening in Israel too right now or in yeah. Palestine. It's like, but biden whoever can turn this off whenever they want um so okay so now we get to post you know so oslo basically falls apart in 2000 uh with the second intifada um and it's interesting because as far as india goes it's just kind of gradual increasing normalization um from that point on um to the point where india is really not anything at this point but a supporter of israel so like um, in 2017, Modi became the first prime, Indian prime minister to actually go. Like presidents had gone and other ministers had gone, but he was the first one to go to Israel and he didn't go to Palestine. He went in 2018, but on that trip in 2017, he didn't. And it, um, apparently Israel named some kind of chrysanthemum flower after Modi. Wow. <laughs> I wonder what the Modi flower looks like. Now I want to Google it. <laughs> probably uh yeah, probably some kind of lotus or something. I don't know. Um yeah, it's and and you know, India prior to what you know, 
historically, India used to always say, like, we can't support Israel because Israel is an ethnic state with different rights for Jews, um, which India does not believe in. And of course, the way India has gone now with Modi uh, is exactly in that direction of trying to be a Hindu state. So the further they go down that road, the more there's an, kind of an ideological convergence between them and and Israel. That, that explains all the Hindu for Israel we see on social media. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because yeah. I, I used to go to, uh, you know, I, I mean, I still, I would go, but back when I used to go to a lot of uh, demonstrations, like pro-Palestine demonstrations, and there would be like the pro-Israel people. So, you know, it'd be, you know, a thousand pro-Palestine people and, you know, 25 pro-Israel people <laughs> waving the Israeli flag. And there would be like one Indian guy waving the Israeli flag and then he would see me and he would like yell as loud as he can in my, at my in my direction. He'd go, Hindus for Israel! <laughs> and, and then all the other pro-Palestine protesters would stop and look at me and I'd be like, what are you looking at me for? <laughs> as you were, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh but china doesn't seem to have like uh that kind of pro-israel feeling although it is a big trading partner so yeah let's let's talk about china's relationship now because like i feel like there's um you know at the at the most um the most like enthusiastic like oh china's you know china's a, a force for something different in the world and you know like it's it's you know, it's going to change the, the logic of like this unipolar world where the U.S. just dictates whatever it wants. But probably there's unfortunately not much to be hoped for uh, from China on this particular file is the sense that I'm getting. Would you? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I also want to make uh, a, a clear there's a difference between kind of the Chinese state official position and also kind of the Chinese public perception. Right. And, uh, you know, the I mean, a lot of the I know a lot of the more bourgeois uh, Chinese, uh, more affluent <laughs> Chinese, they, they probably harbor more pro-Israeli uh, sentiment just because kind of the media they consume, uh, you know, tends to be more Western-oriented um, reportage, and and then uh, in, in so so China for its per, uh, its own official position, it has always supported the Palestinian statehood. And I remember actually listening to um, to podcasts uh, the 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 China Africa project, uh, which is hosted by uh, American journalist uh, um, Eric Olander. He actually expressed surprise when Xi Jinping spoke at the Arab lead uh, saying reinstate China's uh, position on the Palestinian statehood, on how China supports Palestinian statehood. He, he's like, oh, my God, that's a, such a stupid thing to do. Why would China say that? But I'm like, that's actually chi China never officially changed its position. That's its official position since the beginning. And, and so in the, the official rhetoric hasn't changed. Right. Um, but what what does change is uh, because economically, you know, of course, Israel plays a, a larger role because, you know, because it's all the backing you receive from from United States. Um, so so there's, you know, China looked to where kind of the Israel China Israeli relationship as a conduit for like technology. Te 
the cooperation technology, you know, especially technology. And, and also Israel signed up on the Belt and Road Initiative, right? So, so yeah, and, and so China was, uh, Israel uh, was uh, proposing to have uh, one of the Chinese uh, contractors to develop Haifa, the, the port in Haifa, which U.S. also raised a hissy fit. The U.S. is like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's going to raise uh, security, national security issues with China secretly infiltrating, you know, ports, facility, important ports facility in Middle East. First of all, it's like, how, how does that even relate to national security of United States? I mean, it's pretty wow. telling. And yeah. and the and 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 so so in that aspect, you know, China tried to play it. Uh, you can you know try China trying to play it cool on all sides, right? Like that's how you know if you look at um, kind of the antagonistic relationship, for example, between Iran and the Gulf Arab countries. But China tried to become friend, be friends with all of them, right? Because China needs to import oil from Middle East. Um, it, it has a traditional relationship with Iran, but after its normalization of ties with Saudi Arabia in 1992, it, it actually increasingly depend on the Saudi oil. So it, it doesn't want to offend anybody in the Middle East. And 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 in in the Israel case, though, you know, uh, you know, China mostly tried to stick to its official rhetoric of support of Palestine, which means some human humanitarian aids, uh, but at the same time continue to work with Israel on like on the tech technology transfers, right? Uh, and, and development projects like that. So, and also, so the, you know, the, the Israeli offering signing up uh, Belt and Road Initiative, that was actually another kind of carrots that, that Israel hold uh, <laughs> in front of China say, hey, you know, so that that's, that's, yeah, I agree with you. You know, we probably don't can expect China to do too much uh, in the current, uh, you know, Middle East situation. So, how does does China have does China talk to Hamas or does China like what's ah. the? Ah, so China does uh, China's official relationship has always been with PLO, right? So that's that stretch because it's old old ties back with Arafat. Uh, Hamas, I don't think China has official relationship with Hamas, uh, but I think China did uh, oppose to list Hamas as a terrorist organization. So that, that's kind of the, the uh, on the diplomatic front, uh, you know, China doesn't doesn't recognize Hamas as a terrorist organization like uh, like Israel and United States. So that but, but like as far as trading with gaza or getting stuff to gaza china can't really do that because it's all controlled by israel anyway right yeah i think most of the chinese aid to palestine is through uh plo so so to the west bank um yeah i, I don't know if there's direct aids to gaza unless so maybe like, under, under like un or something that's what china would normally do um, yeah. If they don't have uh, official ties, they, they would go through like international bodies like UN. But like right now, China is playing a pretty major role in like keeping Iran from collapsing under sanctions. And I guess I gather it's playing some role in reconstructing Syria, too, right? Yes. Is that, um, is that true? Yes. So Syria was actually looking for a lot of Chinese investment 
and, and I think China was also kind of interested in kind of uh, gaining another foothold for the Belt and Road Initiative project on the on the Mediterranean. Uh, I mean, I, there were talks. I think Syria kind of all tried to offer China a base, like a military base, like they they offer Russia, but but. But China was like, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Could get a little crowded over there. Yeah, yeah. China doesn't <laughs> want, like, China does doesn't see any need to to involve itself militarily, even though there were um, thousands of Uyghur fighters in northwest Syria. But it's, you know, from China's perspective, Russia is doing fine, right? And China implicitly basically backs Russia's effort in Syria. So so China's uh, uh, interest in Syria is more kind of in the economics, um, like like cause, because the position of Syria on the coast of Mediterranean, you, you, it offers kind of, a, uh, yeah, it offers a foothold. But now that's, I think that's also why Israel dangled that Haifa port project in front of China. It's like, hey, <laughs> how about us? You know, you can yeah, do because, it. Yeah, because I mean, like Russia, like Putin, again, like it's another case where Putin is also, you know, demonized in the U.S. and the Russian oligarchs and Putin and, you know, they're... They're doing all these, they've got these expansionist ambitions and Putin has to be stopped and Putin's interfered in our elections. But like Putin's very pro-Israel, I gather. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there's no criticism of Putin's radical pro-Israel policy, right? Yeah. You don't hear that <laughs> yeah, from the Russiagators. It's interesting yeah. too, because Stalin, apparently Stalin was also a huge uh, Israel supporter. And and also I think there because that that uh, <laughs> there was a lot of uh, Soviet Jewish immigration to Israel, um, so they have that kind of tie. Uh, I, I I remember there was a 20, 20, 2013 Pew's research poll, um, like the the U.S. and Russia are like the top two countries with most favorable views toward Israel. To uh, um, you know China actually not so much. China like that's. Uh, you know, over 60% people uh, survey in in the Pew Research poll had unfavorable views of Israel um, because you know, it, it, but but in China because it's complicated because like on one hand the state media portray China Israel as a kind of proxy of United States uh, and because of, like the worsening U.S. China ties. Right. I mean, like that, the, the, the Palestinian Israeli conflict is kind of shaped in that narrative as, as like Israel is on the side of U.S. Um, and and but on the other side, there's, a, you know, like I said, there's a lot of Chinese bourgeois who have <laughs> pro-Israel sympathies. So so there's kind of uh, I think 60, 40 is actually about accurate among the Chinese uh, public opinion. Divide. Apparently, uh, recent polls in India have 70% uh, favorable views of Israel, which is probably historically a change. And again, like there's a huge divide in terms of public opinion in India now, like between Hindu people and non-Hindu people. So like Hindu people are going in one way and as far as public opinion goes and the Muslims and everybody else is going in the, in the other way. Um, so... I, I did want to ask you about like social media because like this is where India has been really embarrassing in this past uh, round of conflict because it'll be like a pro Modi person with Adolf Hitler um, as his profile picture 
just like celebrating Israel and people are like, I saw that tweet. <laughs> I saw this? that tweet sharing around. And then yeah. and then you probably also saw like Netanyahu had these all these flags of all these countries where he said thank you for your steadfast support. And then all these pro Modi people came out and said, Oh, please, you know, thank us too. You know, India's with you. And then some <laughs> racist Israelis replied and said, We don't want your cow dung, urine drinking support. Get the hell out of here. Oh man. Yeah, that was that was so just piled layers of cringe yeah so but i but like so as far as chinese social media goes is that like a battle right now is that like are people sharing images of what's going on in gaza and what the death to the arabs chants and all that stuff like is that a is that trending on chinese social media at all um, I wouldn't say it's trending because most 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 thing that's trending on Chinese social media are like celebrity gossips. But uh, <laughs> but but it is it is definitely a, a there's a presence on Chinese social media and and again they're like I don't know how reflective of you know kind of social media is reflective of true public opinion, but there seems to be a battle too where uh, like. A lot of the times these foreign policy issues become a proxy battles for for domestic issues, just like just like in the West. And and so for for like the people who maybe more pro Chinese government position, they will take the pro Palestinian side and the, the, the people who are, you know, anti-Chinese government, but they can't say it directly. So they will take the pro-Israel side on social media. So that that's where it's being played out. But that's tricky because if you're saying, for example, like Israel has the right to defend itself against terrorism or something, then that's almost like in China, that would be like, uh, you know, cracking down on Xinjiang or whatever, right? So it would be like a parallel like that's that's what's been fascinating to me is just like you know the way that the way they're like in you know dan my, my buddy dan um he he says you know it, it, when they when they started talking about like how much they need to support muslims in xinjiang it was like people people were like we're supposed to forget the iraq war and and the afghanistan war and like all these massacres of Muslims that you've promoted. And Dan's like, now it's actually on a split screen. On one side of the screen, they're saying, we love Muslims and we support them in Xinjiang. And on the other side of the screen, it's like, we, you know, Israel has the right to defend itself by like, you know, shooting tear gas into the holiest, you know, one of the holiest sites of Islam and burning it, trying to burn it down. So, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's it's interesting that way. So I, I guess you're I guess you're saying so. I get like overall, you know, just to we can have like one of our shorter <laughs> we can make this one of our shorter episodes. But yeah. um, overall, it seems like, you know, even if the world is moving in a multipolar direction, I'd say for the foreseeable future, uh, Israel and and therefore Palestine will probably remain in the uh, in the U.S., um in the u.s under u.s influence so yeah there's probably think, not much china can or would be able to do here um, yeah i think it's uh if you look at the you know the china versus u.s on, on this, this issue u.s is willing to uh 
you know, put everything into like full backing of Israel. I mean, the <laughs> Biden was on record of saying that he has been saying that for many, many years, for decades. Like there was a video of him uh, from from I think 1980s when he said, "Oh my uh, God, he looks like such a maniac, eh?" He's like, "If yeah, Israel so- didn't exist, we would have to invent it." Yeah, exactly. He was so fired up. Oh. I, I was like, whoa, i never seen Biden so fired up. <laughs> I know, up Sleepy Joe, issue. right? He was awake. Yeah, and, was and, awake. and so that's, you don't get that kind of the same feeling in China, say, about Palestine, right? I mean, like, there's, there's no Chinese leader that's going to go on television and say, like, look, right. we're going to make, it's go from river to the sea, we're going to make Pal- free Palestine tomorrow. And I, no, nobody says, says that anymore after Mao, right? So, so yeah, so, so I, I think I agree with your assessment that, that, you know, U.S. is just willing to put more on this table on the table when it comes down to it yeah all right well on that unhappy note yeah in uh call it a night a day for you yeah (laughs) well it's good to always good to talk to you yeah likewise